We have for a couple of different weeks talked from the book of Jeremiah, the 29th chapter. We focused on the 10th verse down through verse 14. And I am going to go back and, and read over this just so everyone knows where we are and where we've been. So Jeremiah 29, verse number 10 says, For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. Let me go back and just read that again. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. And I will be found of you, he said, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all of the nations and from all the places whether I have driven you, saith the Lord, and I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for the few that stood there. I appreciate that. Let me just uh, highlight one or two things here for you in Jeremiah 29. The things that I, I believe are important to us, at least in, in this series of, of sermons, and that is no way were they going to escape their time in Babylon. All right, I want you to see that and, and grasp a hold of that, the things we've been talking about. The Bible said that after 70 years be accomplished. In other words, there were things that had to be done that nothing was going to change, that they would be in Babylon for 70 years. Once that was accomplished, he said, I will visit you. After 70 years, things will begin to change, and I will perform my good word toward you. So no matter what it has looked like, and in this situation, it was going to be seven decades of, of struggle. It was going to be seven decades of being under the control of the Babylonians. He said, that's the reality, but I do want you to remember, and we talked about this a couple weeks back, I will visit you, I will perform my good word. So don't, don't get distracted and don't give up no matter how long the trial is. Not every, not every situation ends in a hurry and not every situation is only momentary. There are things that come into our lives that are extended or protracted and we just have to weather them and go through them with the confidence and knowing that he said, I will visit you again and I will perform my good word toward you. So those are, those are things to realize that, that, that there will be a change 
change and it is coming in time. The other thing is, as you go on, he said, I know the thoughts that I think toward you. Sometimes the thoughts that we have and that we think God is thinking toward us is not always the same because when you're in Babylon and you're in the struggle and you're in the the pressured moments of life, we think God's forgotten about us. We think God is mad at us. We think there's something wrong and God must be taking it all out on us. But the truth of the matter is he said, I know the thoughts that I have that I think toward you. They are thoughts of peace. Even though you're in Babylon, my thoughts toward you are peace. My thoughts towards you are not of evil. And we sometimes in the moment think that God must be upset with us or there must be some, something wrong here. But if we're not careful, we let, like we've been talking about, our head get in the way of our heart. Because our heart has already confirmed to us that God loves us and that God has best and better and well intentions toward us, that God wants good things in our life. Our heart has identified that and has accepted that, but sometimes our head gets in the way and says, what in the world is going on? If God really loved me, then why would I be in Babylon right now? Why, why would I be in this struggle? He must be upset. But he said, I know the thoughts that I think toward you. And no matter what you're thinking, my thoughts are this. Peace, not evil. Amen. Peace, not evil. And I am going to give you an expected end. This thing isn't up for for grabs. And then he goes on and said, you're going to pray, you're going to seek me, you're going to come after me, and you will find me, he said, when you do that with all of your heart. Not when you just rationalize it out. Amen. Try to convince yourself. Sometimes your heart will 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 get you into situations that you're that you're mind would have never taken you to (laughs) because from the outside in your mind it's just not making sense and so you can't follow along with that all right they want me to try this again so is this better is this not all right i'm not trying it anymore that's good i'm just gonna let what it would help if i turn it on there we go is this good is this better is this not better okay it's not better there we go all right No more pointing, no more saying turn it on, no more trying that. I'm using this, and everybody say, go for it, Pastor. All right, good deal. So sometimes our head will get in the way of our heart. And and, and we we will convince ourselves that there are situations that are one way when they're really not that way at all. We'll start thinking God is upset, God's mad, God is punishing, God is... And he's saying, but wait a minute, you may be in the struggle right now, but I have an expected end for you. And the end is not destruction. The end is not defeat. The end is not you're overwhelmed. The end is you come out victorious. The end is there will be joy. There will be deliverance. There will, because he said, I will visit you. And, And notice, he said, I'll be found of you when you search for me with all of your heart, not your head, not trying to figure it all out, not 
trying to plan it all out, not trying to get it all together here. He said, when you come after me with all of your heart, then you will find me. He said, saith Lord, I will turn away your cat. I will turn the situation you're in. You're in Babylon, but I'm going to turn that. You're, you're in a struggle, but it's coming to an end. You've been sick, but I'm turning that. You've been broke, but I'm turning that. You've been overwhelmed, but I'm turning that. You've been depressed, but I'm turning that. You have been attacked, but I'm turning that. He said, I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you. When you think, well, it'll never, it's never going to be right again. It's never coming back again. It's never working out again. He said, I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whether I have driven you. Please say this with me, where he drove me. See, we can't always blame things on the devil. And we can't always blame things on our poor decisions. Sometimes we end up in situations because that's where God put us. All right? He said, I'm going to gather you from all the places that I drove you. You may not have liked those places, but I put you there. I drove you there. It's like that, the, uh, the example when Jesus was led into the wilderness. I mean, it's, it's prime example. The Bible says that the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. Into a place where He would fast for weeks on end. And at the end of that fasting, He would be tempted by the adversary. That was the spirit that led him there. Okay? He was in a place of weakness. He was in a place where he was tempted. He was in a place where he felt alone. Sometimes we get to alone, empty, tempted places and we we think it was other things. It had to be something other than God that got me here. But the truth is the spirit led him there. And so sometimes he, he puts us in situations where things will be worked out in us because the Bible tells us at the end of that, once he, he looked at the adversary and three different times says, it is written, it is written, it is written. Every time he was tempted, he just kept using the word. And I encourage you, use the word no matter where you find yourself, no matter what kind of situation you're in, use the word. When the devil tempted him, when the devil tried him, when the devil came and tried to discourage him and said, you know what, uh, uh, why don't you turn these stones into bread? Well, he was hungry. He had been fasting for weeks on end. And this temptation of the flesh to fulfill something in the flesh was turn these stones into bread. And he could have turned the stones into bread. But he looked at the enemy and said, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He was saying, I, I, my, my sustaining power right now is not in natural nourishment, but it is in the word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I'm being sustained by His word. Amen. Amen. And so... 
you see that he's, he's saying to them, I will gather you from all the nations, from all the places, whether I've driven you, saith the Lord, and I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. He said, I caused you to be carried away captive. I allowed this to happen, but it's not going to be like this forever. I'm bringing you home. Now, there were things that in this uh word and prophecy of Jeremiah that had to do with that time. It had to do with that day. It had to do with that generation. But there were also things spoken about that had to do with times that were coming toward the end. One of the most incredible things that we have seen over the last 80 years or so is the gathering of Israel again. Gathering of the Jews from all over this earth back to their homeland. When you when you see the gathering, this wasn't just for for that time it was it applied there but it also was something that was futuristic that now we're looking back on saying wow look at the migration if you will look at the return of all of these uh, dispersed Jews from uh, all around the world are now making that journey home if you go back and look at the thousands that have returned it, it would probably blow your mind in the last 70 80 years the things that have happened there but in all of that we can all also see the principle here and that is no matter who you are as a child of God when you find yourself in challenging situations at the moment you begin to seek him with all of your heart and not just your head you will find him and he will begin to turn the situation that you're in. So we talked, uh, we've talked a lot about that over the last few weeks. And I want to jump way ahead here to 2 Timothy, the third chapter. And I'm going to read several verses beginning with verse number 1. 2 Timothy 3, 1 says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which crept into houses and led captive, silly laden, women laden with sins, led away with diverse lust, ever learning, ever learning, and never able, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so did these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be made manifest unto all men as theirs was also. Paul is writing to Timothy, his son in the gospel, and he's saying to him, this is what the last days will look like. He said it will be perilous times. Perilous times will come. Challenging times will come. Difficult times will come. Like we've been talking about. Back to Jeremiah. God saying, you're going in to Babylonian captivity. It will be 70 years of perilous times. It will be 70 years of challenge. 70 years of slavery. 70 years of difficulty. He's saying those times were coming. And then he began to tell Timothy. He said, this is what it will look like. This is how men will feel and conduct themselves. They'll be lovers of their own selves, covetous. I mean, how uh, did I've got to be honest with you? 
it wasn't too many years ago, and we didn't even know what a selfie was. Can anybody just say amen? You may be guilty. You may be not guilty, but whatever, the, you're innocent. But it wasn't many years ago, and we didn't have a clue what a selfie was. But now our world is inundated with people that don't need to be posting anything about the way they look. They fill our feeds and they fill our pages with views that I would rather not see. Why are they? Because they are lovers of themselves. They think everybody loves looking at them like they like looking at them. And we're like, oh my God, what in the world were they thinking when they, when they posted that? Well, why, why would anybody want... And you know, now it's funny because now you get all these, you know, posts that say basically just, you know, because everything's been altered and everything's been photoshopped and everything, everybody has an app. Like, does anybody have a... A cousin that maybe isn't the thinnest one in the family, but sometime, but not sometime. Every time you see their post, they're like, like a hundred. Like, what happened to them in the like, like in the last two weeks? How? What is that? Because whatever that is, I need that. I need that kind of help. And then you're, oh, it's an app. It's an app. <laughs> it's been altered. It, and then, you know, after a while, some people just kind of give up on all that. And they're like, um, I just want to post this out there to make everybody feel comfortable and just post your natural self. And, you know, and then, you, and then it's like uh, encouraging everybody. Post, just post. And you're like, please, whatever you do, <laughs> lovers of themselves. I mean, I, I know, I know, I'm, 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 I'm stepping out there for some, but boasters, proud, want everybody to see what you bought, where you live, what you have. Just hey, look at, look at. I mean, all you have to do is just get online, <laughs> and you, and you'll go through these things. Disobedient to parents. My goodness, I could preach all day about that. I don't know. I I don't know if it was just a respect or a fear of God or if the laws then were not what they are now, but I would absolutely never have said or done or acted toward my parents the way I see young people acting toward their parents now. I wouldn't have made it this far to be your pastor. I mean, they would have buried me a long time ago. I mean, it was never a, uh, a, a. Man, we didn't even say yeah and huh and shut up. We didn't even we didn't use those words. We're not we're not talking about some of the other stuff. It was yes, ma'am, yes, sir, no, ma'am, no, sir. And you know, it wasn't bad. It was a good thing. We were we were not forced into it. We were raised in a way with respect. That is your parent. That is your elder. That it doesn't matter how old you are. You will always show a respect. Now they just say what they want to anybody at any time. And and listen, I. 
I never remember my parents saying to me every day, shh, 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 don't say that. It didn't happen. Because they had already put the fear of God in me when I don't know how old I was that you just don't say it. I, most of my vocabulary now around my house is shh, don't, don't say that. I'm thinking, my parents didn't do this. Where did we go wrong, babe? What, what did we do? Like, yes, you have an opinion, but nobody cares right now. So whoever told you that you can voice it any time, they don't live in this home. Voice it to them all day, every day, not me. And you may, it may be legitimate and may be wonderful, but there's a time and a place. Go read Ecclesiastes 3. There's a time and place for everything. And most of the time, you talking while I'm talking is not the time or place. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Is, is anybody on the same page here? Paul is telling Timothy, there is coming a day where things are going to be so unthankful when is the last time you heard somebody just simply with sincerity say, thank you, thank you? It's, it's expected. Just, well, that's what, unholy. I mean, being holy and like the Lord is so far from some people's mind. And please understand, I'm not just talking about the world. I'm talking about people that claim Christianity. Holiness is like a disease. We're not going to. The Bible points to it that in the last days there will be a time when people have no desire to be thankful or holy. Truce breakers, false accusers, fears, despisers of those. If you try to do good, they'll despise every good thing you do. That, that's the traitor, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. He said, turn away. So Paul is going through this, and he, he tells him, in this time, they will be ever learning, pursuing knowledge, trying to learn, trying to get it all figured out right here. But he said, they will never be able to come to the knowledge of the truth because coming to a knowledge of the truth isn't something that transpires here. It's something that transpires here. And if we're not careful, we'll try to work it all out right here. And our heart will be saying, go for it. Yes. This is real. I'm confirming. And our head is saying, but it doesn't measure up. It doesn't add up. Other people aren't agreeing with me. I don't understand this. They're ever learning, pursuing, but never able to come to a knowledge. And then he said, just like in Moses' day, Janus and Jambres, they withstood him. They withstood him and the miraculous things that God was doing through Moses. And they said, we can do the same things. We can perform the same miracles. And Pharaoh said, hey, you guys do what they're doing. There's nothing special about that. Well, we can perform all of that. And, and he has all of those in his kingdom looking toward men who throw staffs down and turn into serpents. And they're saying, just because you're staff Moses turns into serpent that doesn't mean anything to us look what we can do with our magic look what we can do with our deviation from truth 
And in that presence, you see, as the Scripture tells us, that Moses, the serpent that was there, that, was, that came out of the rod that he cast down, consumed, consumed the serpents that were put there by the adversary. I want to tell you that no matter what they try to represent, truth will always win out. Truth will always overcome a lie. Truth will always consume the things that are not right. And he said, just as there was resistance at that time, there will be resistance in your time. But he's saying, they will not proceed, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be made manifest unto all men. Just keep loving truth. Just let your heart be in this thing, and don't let your head get in the way. When people say, well, you can't explain that. You can't prove that's real, and you can't tell me that this is that, and just say, listen, if you don't choose to believe it, that's up to you, but you've come way too late to tell me it's not real, because I know I've lived it. I've experienced it. It's in my heart. I I've been led by this. And so Paul is talking about the disastrous days of the end. And he points out this, ever learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. The knowledge, not a truth, but he's saying the truth. There's not, there's not, this isn't just a truth, this is the truth. And that's what he was talking about. They cannot come to a knowledge of the truth. They, they, they may have a lot of truths that they realize and through study and the pursuit of education and all those things, wonderful. I've come to truths in my life through that. But I, never, I did not come to the truth by that. I came to the truth when I started seeking for him with all of my heart, not my head. When he said, you'll find me when this gets involved and not just this. When you let your heart take over and you pursue me with your heart, he said, you'll find me then. You'll find me at that place. So, so I want to encourage someone to stop trying to experience God in the realm of earthly knowledge alone. Amen. Uh, or, 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 or you may start there, but don't, 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 don't keep down, going down that path when this is a heart thing. You have to seek for Him with all of your heart. I have to continue to seek for Him with all of my heart. I cannot come to church or, or be in times of prayer or try to live my everyday life for Him without allowing my emotions to be involved. It's okay to come to church and be emotional. It's okay to come to church and cry. It's okay to be in your times of prayer and when you're alone with God and, and you get emotional, that is okay because you're feeling something. You're being sensitive to the voice of God. You cannot find God void of emotion, void of feeling, void of this encounter with Him. You'll never know Him like I'm preaching about today until you kind of let everything else go and let your heart engage. Let your heart, and, and we talked about it a few weeks ago, so many times our advice to people uh, is this, especially when we're young and we're trying to help people in relationships, we'll tell them, now listen, be real careful, because if you're not, if, if you're not careful here, you'll get this mixed up, all right? You'll, you'll get this whole thing backwards, you, you, you'll, you'll go down a road that you can't recover from. You'll, you'll make some decisions that 
man, will cost you a lot. All right? How many knows that's the truth? Sometimes we make decisions that just, they take us off the rails. We just, and, but what, what caused us to do that? Many times it was because we got our heart involved. Well, I love them. You don't even know their name, but I love them. Okay, uh, it's amazing what happens when your heart gets involved with a situation. We can't be talked out of things when our heart's involved. I mean, people could bring up the obvious and put it right in your face. You're like, I don't, I don't see anything. Like, what do you mean? It, here, here it is. Everything is spelled out. This, there's a track record here. There's history here. There's evidence here. Where? All of this. Well, I love them. (laughs) You decided to love them. And you made a decision before you knew all the consequences. And as you've made that decision to do that, you can also make the decision to do something else. Hello? So, so we know what it's like. We deal, we, we deal with this, but then when it comes to God, somehow all of this gets really confusing. Knowing the Lord is uh, uh, an experience that you have, okay? And when you have that experience of knowing God, nobody can take that away from you. They can tell you, you're not, that's not real, you don't understand, you're not thinking straight. Somebody, uh, they, they, they brainwashed you, somebody forced you, somebody convinced you, you've been misled, and, and you're like, you can say anything and everything you want, but I've had an experience with the Lord, and it has convinced me that this is true and this is real. Learning His ways, learning how to live for Him is what happens. In, in discipleship. But you don't learn. I've met people that learned to live for him but did not know him. Have you ever met people like that? There's a bunch around. They, they learned how to live for him but they don't know him. They haven't experienced him. Prime example is if you if you grow up around the church and you have your you never have your own experience with God, you're doing what you're doing because of family. You're doing what you're doing because somebody raised you a certain way. You're doing what you're doing because someone instructed you to do that. But it's not your experience, okay? You're doing it because somebody else. Just, all these stories come to my mind as I'm talking about this stuff. But one in particular is look at Samson. Samson didn't make a commitment to be a Nazarite. His mother made a commitment for him to be a Nazarite. When you read the story, his mother was visited from heaven and said, you're going to have a son, and he's going to be a Nazarite from his birth. And so the Bible tells us that his mother began herself to live as a Nazarite from that day forward. So when Samson was born, she raised him as a Nazarite. He didn't even know what a Nazarite was. He was just raised that way. So when he gets to the place in life now where God wants to use him and he's tempted 
and he has this attack that comes into his life, what did he do? He gave up all of the promises, gave up all of the secret, told where his power was, and his head was shaved, and he ends up like an animal grinding at the mill with his eyes being plucked out because from the time of his, before his birth to that moment when he told where the power was coming from, he was living on his mother's commitment, not on his own. The Bible tells us, you know, when they're saying, hey, the Philistines are upon you, he goes out and shakes himself like he had at other times, and he didn't even know that the presence of God wasn't there anymore. Because he was living on something. It's almost like he didn't know what the presence of God was anyway. How can you be used like he was used, and then all of a sudden shake, and you don't even know it's gone? Probably because he didn't even recognize it for himself leading up to that time because he was living on his mother's decision. And then all of a sudden, he's there grinding at the mill, and day after day, his hair begins to grow again, and he's walking in a circle, and he's starting to develop his own experience with God for the first time he starts praying God if you'll just use me one more time God if you'll just somehow I've made mistakes and I didn't get it all right but this time avenge me avenge me for my eyes on the Philistines God do whatever and he's making a commitment what is he doing he's having his own experience with God and finally the time came where he's brought out of that place and they're going to make show of him and they're going to parade him as their their captive, and they're going to make fun of him. And he says, God, just use me one more time. Lord, this time it's not what my mom promised you. This time it's what I'm promising you. It's not how I was raised. It's not the church I grew up in. It's not all of these things. And sometimes it's easy to be around it, learn how to live for him, and not know him. Not know him. So Samson is put in that place and tells the little lad that, that's guiding him out, just, just take me to the pillars of this, this building, this coliseum, this place. And he puts his hands and shoulders against those columns and just, God, this time it's between you and I. And if I die in the midst of this, I'll die having my own experience with you and not somebody else's. And God gives him that strength to push those columns and that entire place crumbles and the Bible tells us he killed more in his death than he had in his entire life. See, when you get to the place that this is your experience with God, anything you've lived on before will not even compare to what God will start doing in your life when you walk in it yourself, when you receive it for yourself. So knowing the Lord and walking after Him, there's too many people that that. Try Try to put the cart before the horse. Huh. All right? Don't let your head get in the way of your heart. Okay? Keep your heart engaged in this. Your head will try to... I tell my daughters, and I hope they've listened, let your head get in the way of your heart when it comes to young men. Think clearly. Don't, don't come in, but I love them. Well, they, I'm not going to support him and you and all your little passel of 
whatever you're bringing in over the next few years. But, he, but, but, but he's, no, does he work? Does he have an education? Does he have any savings? When Lisa married me, I wasn't, I, I, didn't, I didn't say, I have nothing to offer you, babe. But love is, love will keep us together. I, it was, I've seen so many people that it didn't work for them. Love didn't keep them together because they got hungry. <laughs> and other stuff came along. They were like, well, I don't know. I don't, you know, he's a nice guy, but I'm sick of this. I'm, I'm about to starve. I'm going home. It's the truth. It's the truth. When when Lisa and I when Lisa and I married, I already had a career. I was already working. I've already been out of college for several years. Out of college several years and traveling all over this country. And you know, we spent we we went we missed one weekend on our honeymoon because we were on a cruise. And um, as soon as we got off the cruise, we were back on the road. And every week, we were in a different place. And every month, we were in a different state. And, and we had to fight like this. Why did you have to fight like that? Because we were staying in pastor's homes. I was an evangelist. Like, we're preaching revivals in churches. And the pastor, and they're in the next room. And we're in this room. Oh, yes. Praise the Lord, brother. God. (laughs) And we traveled like that. I had already been traveling for several years. We traveled, how many? Seven more years after that. Every week, and and it was funny, like it was, we had only been married a few weeks. We went to a church that I used to preach in quite often in the month of November. I'd go to this place in Kentucky and we would preach a a Thanksgiving revival. We preach right through holidays and all. So they'd have a Thanksgiving revival every year. And so we'd go preach that. And I'd been to it a time or two before. And so I was a single evangelist before that. Now this year when I go back, I'm a month into marriage or so. and, And the pastor said, I guess only like they do it in Kentucky, Lisa was 19, and he said, I want, I, want, uh, I want brother and sister Mitchell to come up here and just stand right in front of the pulpit. And she's like, what have you got me into? I said, I don't know what he's doing. He's never done this before. We're standing up there in the front. And he said, give them an offering pan. And we were like, oh, my Lord. <laughs> we're standing there. And he said, let's do something for them. They just got married. You guys just come and give them an offering. And and Lisa was like, yes, I like the way this works. Hey, maybe they can do that everywhere we go. But but it was awkward. It was awkward. See, See, when Lisa and I got married, I didn't offer her nothing. There was no way that I could compare at that point with what her father had provided because her father was... 30 years down the road from where I was. But I had something to offer. Amen. Marriage is tough enough. Don't make it harder than what it has to be. Amen. 
Amen. So sometimes we put the cart before the horse. We, we get this whole thing backwards. Let me just stop here today and we'll pick up and go on maybe six or eight more weeks. I don't know. We'll just keep going for a while. But, but, but I want to stop here and say this. If you're not careful, you will let your head get so involved in this thing with God that your heart will be something that you've put on a back burner. And you're wondering why things in your life are not developing and why things in your life are not transpiring. And the simple word is, you'll find me when you come after me with your whole heart. It's it's the simple things of just put everything else aside. Turn everything else off. Stop all the questions and all the worrying, all the maneuvering and all the fixing and just say, God, I long for you. Life, Babylon was tough. Perilous days, last days are tough. How do you get through those things? Following him with your heart. Because when you do that, he shows up. And when he shows up, he promises, I'm turning the captivity. I'm thinking peace toward you, not evil. I'm thinking favor and blessing toward you, not curse and loss. I'm thinking health and growth. God has those things, and it is an expected end. Let's stand together.